Uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, like I said, introduce, I'm Wojtek, and as Sean said, I work in atomic and laser sub-department uh, here. Uh, and I'd like to thank the organizers for giving me this opportunity to speak to such an eager audience. So to begin with, uh, what is quantum physics? Uh, in short, quantum physics is the theory we have to explain the very small. So things like atoms, things smaller than atoms, how they interact with each other. And that's the best theory we have of how they act. Why do we need one? Well, historically, at the beginning of the 20th century, physics wasn't able to explain things anymore. For example, the famous ultraviolet catastrophe, physics predicted that things radiate infinite energy, for so, which means your oven, for example, would be infinitely hot. It also couldn't explain what's known as the photoelectric effect, which is when you shine light on a metal surface, it will knock the electrons out of the metal. And again, physics of the beginning of the 20th century could not explain that phenomenon. And also the physics of those days could not explain why atoms actually exist because they predicted the electrons which orbit the nucleus to fall into the uh, nucleus almost immediately. Yet that's it's not what was happening. So to explain that, what came about, physicists postulated what's known as wave-particle duality. Previously, you either had a wave or a particle. So something was either a solid particle or was a wave, like the waves you have on the ocean, or like light. Light is an electromagnetic wave. So what happens if we treat light like particles, which we call photons? When you do that, you can suddenly explain the ultraviolet catastrophe, and no longer physics predicted that you radiated infinite amounts of energy, and it actually cut off, and everything was behaving nicely. We could explain the photoelectric effect well, because we could now explain them in terms of photons hitting the electrons and knocking them out. And for the atom, we basically treated the electron as a wave, and it turns out when an electron is treated as a wave, not as a single point particle, it actually didn't fall into the nucleus anymore. So basically, quantum physics was clearly there to stay. Now, the development of quantum physics at the beginning of the 20th century led to what's known as the Schrodinger equation, which is shown at the top. And the Schrodinger equation basically describes how quantum mechanics happens. So if we have an atom, for example, we solve its Schrodinger equation, and we know where it goes, etc. There's an extra element to quantum physics, which is measurement. So the wave-particle duality, for example, has the unique feature that Whilst things behave like a particle in a wave, they never do so at the same time. The way they behave depends on how we look at it. If we try to look at light to see it as a particle, as a photon, we will see a photon. If we try to look at light as a wave, we will see a wave and we will no longer see a photon. So quantum physics brought this idea that looking at something actually affects the system. So I'll explain this on the famous example of the Schrodinger cat experiment. So what happens is, it's a thought experiment, no cats actually harmed. Uh, you put a cat in a box, uh, you close the box, and inside the box you have a poison vial, uh, and underneath the poison vial you have a radioactive source. The radioactive source has a 50% chance of radiating upwards and breaking the vial and hence killing the cat, and it has a 50% chance of radiating downwards, not breaking the vial, and the cat survives. Now, according to the Schrodinger equation, what happens is that both possibilities happen at the same time, and then, so therefore the vial breaks and doesn't break, and therefore the cat ends up being dead and alive at the same time. You can no longer talk about one reality, they're both just as real, and in fact, the best explanation we have for this phenomenon is that there actually is no reality until we open the box and we look at the cat, and then by looking at the cat, the cat, the system, the cat will have to decide whether it's alive or dead. And it happens randomly, with 50-50% uh, chance in this case. 
And that's the thing about measurement in quantum mechanics. It's random, and it changes the system irreversibly. We can, after that, no longer go back to a state where the cat would be dead and alive at the same time. So how do we use it? Of course, in labs, in experimentalists cannot use cats for various reasons. Uh, so we use ultra-cold gases. What's ultra-cold? For example, so my office here in this building is at 23 degrees Celsius, which is about 296 degrees above absolute zero, the lowest achievable temperature. That's not cold enough. The coldest recorded temperature in the UK, about minus 27 degrees, which is 246 degrees above absolute zero, not cold enough. The lowest temperature recorded in the world, 180 degrees above absolute zero, not cold enough. Outer space, which is 2.7 uh, degrees above absolute zero, again, not cold enough. We actually have to go down to about a billionth of a degree above absolute zero. So it's zero followed by six zeros before we actually see any numbers. That's how cold we have to get to be get ultra cold. And what happens then is a phenomenon called Bose-Einstein condensation, which is a new state of matter. Now, why do we actually want these gases cold? So your normal gas at room temperature, like air, will, have, will be behaving like particles, all flying around, knocking each other. But they all behave like particles. Uh, and not be, we don't need quantum mechanics to explain their behavior. However, as we cool them down, their wave behavior starts dominating. They all spread. They start overlapping. And they interact in different ways. They, we need quantum mechanics to explain what's happening. We no longer have these particles flying around and hitting each other. And eventually, if you get cold enough, you, they condense into this new state of matter called Bose-Einstein condensate, which is what people work on in laboratories. So what actually happens is you put the gas in your box, and you keep it still uh, We're using laser beams. So the egg box shape over here uh, denotes laser beams which hold these atoms in place. They can either be actually localized in place, or they're actually spread out over the entire egg box shape. And what happens then is we shine light onto the system, and then these photons hit the atoms, and then, or like hit the entire conglomerate of atoms, which is a Bose-Einstein condensate, and fly away in a different direction. What happens because of that in quantum mechanics is that they become entangled. What entanglement means is that we can no longer treat the light and the gas separately. They're one system from now on. So if we try and touch the system over here, we will affect the system over here, and there's nothing we can do about it. And vice versa, if we touch the system here, we will affect the system here. So what we actually do is we detect the photons flying off. And by detecting a photon, we destroy it. And that way, we actually affect the system. So that's how we perform a measurement on the system. We actually just look at the light coming out from our system. So we start off with the uh, atoms like spread out over there. None of them know where they are. And they're all trying to decide whether they, they themselves don't know where they are. It's not that we, just, we don't know. They themselves don't know. They're spread out everywhere. And by looking at these photons coming in, they slowly have to start dis deciding where they want to go. And they start localizing themselves to single sites in, those, in that egg box. And eventually, as we see more and more photons, they all decide finally where they go. But just like with a cat, it's an entirely random process. We have no control over where they decide to go. So how can this be useful for technology? For technology, what we actually do is we go back to our initial picture. and we add an extra element. We feed back all the information back to the system. The system is very variable. We can always adjust a magnetic field, the laser intensity, or something else. So with each detected photon, we learn something about the system, and we also affect it. But then with this little knowledge that we have gained, we can 
go back to the system, adjust something, and tell the atoms to behave differently. So if we are seeing that like, atoms are deciding to locate themselves in a specific site, we can say, no, we don't actually want it to be locating there. We feed back, we change the parameters of the system, and it moves somewhere else. And again, we all, all this happens actually by looking at the system and just tuning some a knob on the laser beam or a magnetic field. And that way we want to achieve quantum technologies in which we have full control over the quantum system and not probabilistic uh, behavior. And thank you very much for your attention.